0: the hell?
1: I suppose, Connie, it's time to bring you into the true lodge. Hello
0: and welcome to Pod 49, a fan discussion and recap
1: podcast
0: of the best show currently on whatever it is we call Television Lodge 49. I am joined by my luminous co-hosts, Jim and Bart. How y'all doing today? Life is good.
2: Anything is possible.
0: All right. So we're here to talk about episode season two, episode three. The title of the episode is Disorientation. Jim, give us a little look into the top of the uh, food chain creative talent behind this episode.
1: Uh, this episode was directed by Michael Trim and written by Bradley Paul, both of whom have worked on other episodes as well in season one and, and uh, two coming up. All right. So they're
0: experienced members of the Lodge 49 creative Team and veterans in the television storytelling business. We only actually had one original song to uh, in this episode, and that was "Obsidian Secret" by Celia Black. I believe I might I might be pronouncing it wrong, as I often often do. So that meant that most of the music that you hear outside of that one track was actually done by the the person who does the score uh which is oh no i had the name andrew carroll right the excellent andrew carroll bart you know a little bit about Celia black after looking into it who the hell is she
2: yeah it looks like she was very big in the uk uh hit number one hits on charts she covered uh diane warwick anyone who had a heart is that what it was yeah anyone who had a heart she covered went to number one and she was apparently friends with the beatles and that was sort of her thing um, and yeah, it looks like she had quite a good career in the UK with 11 top 10 hits between 64 and 71. But yeah, she was new to me. Uh, it's it's also, it's Scylla, like her name is Priscilla. So Scylla, back. That's, yeah, like Cilia Hex disease, but Scylla. Ah, okay,
0: Scylla. Yeah, there was a bad, well, they weren't bad, but there was a college improv troupe named Cilia that at my college, so maybe that's where I, I went there. Uh, another great deep, Deep Cut by Thomas Patterson, the music supervisor who we give much love and praise to on the regular here on Pod 49. All right, so let's, uh, you know, we've all watched it multiple times. We've discussed it. We've seen the online chatter. What are your sort of
1: hot takes here on this episode, Jim? My hot take is that a lot happened. I feel like there was a lot of plot advancement. Things are moving very quickly. We had Connie making a big discovery. Liz becoming manager of higher stakes. Dud gets to introduce the idea that everyone should go to Mexico. And and then we got El Confidente showing
2: up. So all those are are pretty big plot developments. My hot take of this episode, really, what stuck out to me really was um, the sort of late stage capitalism that we've talked about a lot. There's a lot of things uh, going on with that from Dud complaining about his medical bills. He complains about it to Blaze. Then also, again, I think to Daphne. Um, of course, Blaze is now living in the back of his um, in his lab um, in his storefront uh, because his uh, la- he landlord died and the new ones uh, tripled the rent. And of course, we have maybe one of my favorite scenes of the show of the episode with the uh, human chess, the return of Return of Tarquin, which is always welcome, and uh, the human chess game. You know, just yeah, you know, was 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 great and it was funny, but it's also, uh, you know, obviously fairly demeaning making people go through this. Living in a capitalist system, you kind of have to go through those things so much so that even Speedy dies literally at his desk, you know, like you, you're just going to work until you die. And of course, there's also like the whole notion of Daphne wanting to get the scrolls to kind of figure out Bitcoin. And, and I think Bitcoin in it, in and of itself, personally, is just sort of like a big fallacy of, of, um, you know... I mean, I, I I love when Dud's like... She's like, well, how much do you know about Bitcoin? He says, nothing. I, I feel like that's what everybody thinks, even the people who ha- own it. One of the bartenders has some Bitcoin shares, uh, and he's a big believer in it, but I, when it's been explained to me, it just seems like a p- pyramid scheme, you know? So you it, it requires more people getting in, and then the people up top make more money, but sooner or later, all pyramid schemes fail. Yeah, it's kind of like they're all sort of wishing to hit the lottery in that regard, which I think is derives from living in a capitalist system where nobody has any protections whatsoever and you're either lucky or you're screwed. You know. Anyway, that was my hot take. Big, big uh late stage capitalism episode here.
0: I'm gonna go smaller and just say that I love the Lenore scenes. All of them and, and especially bridging back even to the week before. She's such a cipher for the mom character. I mean that and and so and they kind of do the bait and switch a little bit, going from, Why don't I have you kids over? And like even when they're sitting there in the living room and there's like a real like connecting to mom vibe and then it obviously goes haywire with (laughs) goes haywire. But then, you know, but then Liz returns, right? Which is almost like you relationships can be fraught with your mom too and she still comes back for like connection and meetings, so I think I said last week or last episode that, you know, that wasn't just a random character, the Lenore character. So seeing that, how quickly that relationship and all of its different facets now kind of solidified in one week. I'm really curious to see where that that episode goes. And it also just provided some of the most slapstick kind of like guffaw comedy of the episode as well. Whether it's Dud Dud dodging the the crudite or just like the whole taking
1: the crudite for Liz, yeah,
0: that's right. Yeah, Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. with his now patented uh, planking technique, Um, he's now deployed multiple weeks in a row. So that just I just loved every piece of the Lenore storyline, and I'm curious to see where it goes next.
2: Did not see that coming, by the way.
0: When she goes to the rate what, what the heck is it called?
2: Hydrated. Hydrated, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, speaking of pyramid schemes of like Bitcoin, I mean the, those those things are uh, the terrible pyramid schemes as well, right? I didn't even mention that one, but that's a really that's a, obviously a very good one.
0: We get the quintessentials periods, the the, the classic,
2: yeah, <laughs> the,
0: the throwback, <laughs> yeah. the uh, enduring pyramid scheme example, as well as our as our cyber currency version. All right, so last week we experimented with kind of going through the recap a little bit faster and going by character to character. We're going to try that again. As we said, we're kind of experimenting with different parts of the format of the show. Feedback always welcome. So we're going to dive into it. I'm going to jump off uh, the Lodge. We kind of just treat the Lodge as a character and all of its goings on. actually had a lot going on with the Lodge this week. One... We go just into the backstory of El Confidente and Ernie's trip to Mexico, which has lots of lodge implications. I love seeing and hearing the, the story of the downgraded lodge in Mexico. I, don't, I can't remember exactly. It was like 51 or 41 or something along those lines. 55. 55. There you go. Thank you, Jim. Um, so we get that was a kind of a funny little uh, story and gag. So that sets it up, obviously, with the episode. But we really get some important pieces of the lodge story and in the other characters. One, we see continue to see Connie's journey, the relationship with Clara deepens. We get probably Connie admitting and really emoting at the most deep level about her diagnosis and then sort of sharing this bond over having similar seizures and visions. I like think I said last week or two weeks ago that in medieval stories the seers the witches the people can tell the future it's often associated with some kind of either mental break or seizure or whatnot so i I found that super interesting and then of course we get the big reveal that clara is melinda and the invitation to the true lodge we'll go a little deeper on that later back to scott and his bumbling stumbling leadership of the lodge instead of Putting back bar tabs or doing other social things to keep spirits up. He decides that some arcane ritual with the robes and the hoods and then the naming of the dead or whatever, which is basically just a memorializing past uh, lodge members who have passed. He thinks that that's going to upload the spirit of the of the lodge. Everyone, I think, I think to some degree, he's right in that. It gets a bunch of people out, they like putting on the robe, one of the more lively Lodge scenes of the season, but it's totally dumb and boring and Dud, you know, rushes the stage and does his whole, like, there's a better way and the better way leads to Mexico, we get an amazing sight gag with the pizza delivery guy out of the deal, and then of course later as they're kind of unpacking what's happened while they're eating their za, uh, we get This great scene where they're all crowding around this doorknob where they hear the rustling from the inner sanctum. Great sight gag with then Scott walking up. It was like something out of a cartoon where the people that everyone's looking for ends up, you know, Bugs Bunny, you know, tapping them on the shoulder or whatever. And then El Confidente, you know, comes out of the the lodge door and kind of just throwing that storyline into hyperspace, as Jim said, in terms of the speed of the storytelling. We get a little bit of Blaze we get the reveal that, of course, Daphne is really in in cahoots with Avery, and they want the scrolls to unlock some Bitcoin piece. And we'll probably dive in a little later on that. But that was basically what was going down in the Lodge and its various characters this
2: week. Bart, you want to give us Dud's big plot points? Yeah, I actually thought that Dud took a little bit of a backseat in this episode. Um, It was a lot more about Ernie and Liz, I think. And even... Dudes, a lot of Dud's interactions were with um, other characters. You know, obviously he's getting this, the whole beginning is his getting the wrap-up from Ernie of his trip to Mexico. So we start off with him like in the lodge talking with Ernie and now he wants to go back and this is, what, this is what our destiny is. We need to go get the scrolls, obviously. Um, and then he's meeting with Blaze. It sort of seems like he's kind of checking in with his friends a lot during the episode. It's, his meeting with Blaze is where he thinks that it wasn't. He wasn't dreaming, but instead saw a ghost of Larry at the Lodge. And as Blaze says, it might be a visitation, not a dream. And then, of course, there's that whole dinner scene with Lenore. Yeah, and then he's sort of back at the Lodge with um, Daphne for a bit. And at first, that's when that's when the other Lodge members are kind of saying, like, hey, don't you think he's she's not really a lawyer or something fishy is going on? So then he kind of, like, asks her about that kind of thing. And eventually she kind of comes... Or no, actually, she just offers it up. She, she kind of says, like, you had me pegged from the beginning. And, he, and of course, he, he didn't. And it very much reminded me of, like, sort of how Blaze fell for Avery, you know, hook, line, and sinker, because it was what he wanted to sort of believe. is kind of what Dud does, too, that, like, you know, it's kind of uh, preposterous to think that you're going to be able to sue, sue the city over getting bitten by a shark. Uh, but he kind of believes what he wants to believe. So And then they had a great conversation about Bitcoin that we were talking about. And then it's basically when he kind of takes over. He's supposed to, I think they're supposed to go over 300 people on the ceremony of the dead. And um, he's in, he gets up to the podium. And then, of course. In in a you know humorous way, kind of outs everybody with all their pains and struggles. But yeah, he was uh, like I mean, he still seems like he's the driver of the show in a lot of ways, and that he's definitely the going to be the sovereign protector at some point. He's very important to the lodge, but in this particular episode, he seemed to take a bit of a backseat to some of the other characters.
1: All right, Jim, with Ernesto, we start in. Flashback mode with Ernie in the Tiger Van with El Confidente. We learn on their ride that El Confidente was a sovereign protector of Lodge 55. And we hear his theory that L Marvin Metz, the author of the books Ernie's always listening to in the car, and who we know is portrayed by Paul Giamatti, is a lynx. Uh, so that's teasing for future, you know, revelations. Ernie and El Confidente go to the house of roberto nunez to try and find the scrolls the safe is empty and nunez is dead and he and there's a donkey corn sniffing at him as dud calls it later uh and then we have this dream from ernie or that ernie uh has and in it he's at lodge 49 uh larry welcomes him in then he's wearing his navy uniform he's walking through this house and we see a woman and i I wasn't sure if she's, she's the same person in the photo that we saw him looking at longingly in the first episode of this season. I think it's possible, but I, I wasn't sure. There's some fluff all throughout the air. It's like dandelion fluff or, or, or the stuffing from a pillow. And then Ernie lifts up a sheet that's hiding a circle of light. And just before we see what it is, he wakes up and it's he's getting the tattoo next to El Confidente. that We, we saw that he already has this half-completed tattoo of, I think, a lynx. Though I wasn't sure if it was some kind of mythical beast but you guys think it's a lynx right i mean that's my softly held position we're back to him in the present day. he's telling all these events to dud and that t- tells him he took off in the tiger van and then came back and you know dud's reaction to the story takes us back to a familiar dynamic between the two of them with dud being idealistic and ernie being stubbornly practical you know as bart already said Dud wants to go to Mexico and find the scrolls, and Ernie thinks the scrolls either don't exist or don't matter. Then we're at the office, and beautiful Jeff trolls Ernie, telling them, telling him that his ball cocks are defective. Brian Doyle Murray is saying, "Oh, he's trolling you. You got to troll him back." And then Ernie just gives Jeff some actual earnest good advice. Um, she doesn't know how to deal with, and yeah. his response is to joke that Ernie's going to die at the order desk, and so will Speedy. And they walk over and they see that Speedy, in fact, is already dead. (laughs) Uh, And then later, uh, we have the little memorial scene where Brian Doyle Murray is exercising his poetry chops from his new poetry class. Ernie's left thinking, shit, am I gonna die at the order desk? I don't wanna be, I don't want that to happen to me like it did to Speedy. I just have to
0: say, I love beautiful Jeff's ability to. Go from one emotion to another to a third, like almost instantaneously. He goes from like, he a- goes like, asshole to yeah. actually appreciative of the advice back to asshole and then upset about Speedy. Like, it's at hyper speed. I th- that actor does a great
1: job. Crying and really uh, disconsolate. <laughs> so, Chris, you're going to do a rundown of Liz and what happened with her in this ep- episode? Yeah, which we've probably
0: pretty hit on a lot of the big points. So, it's kind of a little bit of a, you know, at the high of Liz, of course, was our alchemist of the week last week. She kind of, you can almost kind of see her putting on that new normal jacket and kind of playing with this post triumphed Liz. She's a little bit more positive, but still pretty realistic. We obviously have the big scene with Lenore, which we've already talked about. And so I think the... Imp- there's two important plot points with Liz. One, the fact that she's now the manager of higher stakes, so that's it, and it comes out of, of that same management workshop. I think it's funny like are we supposed to know they know who she is, don't know who she is when we get the big reveal that Janet Price steals her story, which by the way, champs line about how we don't own our stories anymore, <laughs> and that's something that in my professional life I'm talking about all the time, so I just thought that was masterful. But anyway, so we You know, Janet stole her story, but there, you know, they get a sign-up list of who's been hired. The same trainer, so it's just like, do they know it's her? There's like a lot of interesting things there. Of course, we have this. Well, go ahead.
2: Yeah, so I was thinking, uh, in a way, the corporation gets dissolved or whatever. The one that where. Where she worked before, right? so its well I know
0: I think their brand the brand of the restaurant got absolved. I think the parent company stays the same. That's the whole point that they did they know how to just flip that into another thing and reopen. but I think I don't think the the parent
2: company dissolved the Janet company is different. but it's almost like you know the way I sort of saw it was like, yeah, you know personally like Tarquin and Janet know who Liz is, but at the same time none, none of that really matters because it's just like, okay, we're starting over. And we're doing a whole other restaurant chain. This it's almost like the, the, you can start fresh, and it doesn't matter what happened before because it's always the same bullshit. Or something. I just couldn't
0: tell. Like it just was interesting to me. Like especially to the degree in which they're leveraging her narrative, and then they have no awareness, or they're feigning no awareness, or whatever. I just thought that was that was funny. And then maybe does that mean that they knew that they were going to tag Liz as the manager, regardless of what happened in the human chess game? Like so, a lot of fascinating stuff there. I love that whole storyline. So I'm glad. I'm kind of bl- glad by. Week three, we've got all those players together, you know, the parent company, corporate, the Jeremy and the crew, like we've got them all back. Liz's lodge is, is uh, reassembled. And then the big piece, we obviously know that they have that dinner with Lenore, but it really was a big reveal to me and really building on the themes for Liz this whole season that she circles back because... Liz has obviously got big kind of blind spots in about her past and her understanding of herself that she probably feels like are her personal quest to move forward. And even after the ridiculousness of her exit from Lenore's, she's knows that she's one of the only people that might be able to fill some of those gaps. And so, so she circles back against all those all that evidence to the contrary, it's worth it enough to her to go back into the cave, so to speak. That was what was going on with. Liz. This is the stage where we're going to go a little bit deeper. We're going to kind of call this This Week in the True Lodge, which just means going deep in the plot and the themes. There's so much to unpack, but we really were talking about how the whole Mexico arc and Connie's arc seem a little bit parallel. And I also thought it was also sort of interesting that those the drivers of those narratives are Ernie and Connie. So we're sort of like Like they're on, you know, these are like the long lost loves. They're the Romeo and Juliet of this sort of medieval tale. And here we have them on some path to understanding in the true lodge. So let's start off in Mexico and see if we can't unpack some of the aspects there. And the fact that we now have El Confidente in Lodge 49, which feels
2: like a long time coming. Yeah, I love those paintings. It's really funny. I used to live with a guy who li- literally called himself Maestro, and he would meet me get. And he, his paintings looked exactly like that. They're like one dimensional, but like you know, obviously El Cavadente kind of paints them for his own, you know, therapeutic things. And this guy used to actually get them and have like art shows. Um, but uh, yeah, his name he, he called himself Maestro. I obviously did not really get along with that guy. <laughs>
0: Speaking of the paintings, I love that that one he paints Ernie with like that slack jawed, open mouth, kind of like caught yeah. agog type of <laughs> such a like
1: unflattering image of poor Ernie. I was like, oh well, that's some bad painting, and Ernie. Why am I wearing a mariachi costume? Yeah, what does he say? I I paint the journey, not the final product, or something.
0: Yeah, that, that was a great line. Thanks for bringing that line in. That was so like that was one of those ones that I'm gonna you know like that's that's pretty profound.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Agreed.
0: Jim, you said something in your plot recap I wanted to circle back to this idea that you know, do you think it was a red herring that they that El Componente names uh, the Paul Giamatti author a, a Lynx member? And then what and then but then we of course have the three, you know, Dud Ernie and and uh, the the author and the airplane and the cold open to season two. So did you do any more thinking or sleuthing on that idea. And it could just easily be a red herring.
1: Part of what he said was that he was gonna try to go see El Marvin Metz if he came to Mexico to do a reading or on his tour or whatever. And so he was going to ask him in person if he's like So I thought maybe that's maybe that he does get that opportunity and that's how they end up hooked up with him and having being on the same plane and whatever other adventure they're having. I think it was probably setting the stage for us of, how, of the away things are going to go. What about you guys? I,
0: I wonder if it was a little bit of a th- throwaway, you know, a little bit of a red herring out there, you know, or because it seems just so overt. Hey, guess what? He's a me- he's a member, but I, who knows? I, I Even if it was, whether it was a red herring or a little clue, I, I love the flavor. And I just also love that uh, the Oslo... Uh, book on tape cover made one of the paintings.
2: Yeah, that was great. <laughs> no, I mean we 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 start the whole season off and we see that they're they meet uh Giamatti the author or whatever and that's when you know he jumps out of the airplane. So it seems to me like that there's uh you know he and he says I'll see you guys at the lodge. So I think oh right I forgot that part oh yes.
1: yeah
0: so
2: yeah so I I think this is just kind of confirming that that I like. Ernesto is—I mean, not Ernesto. Um, oh, Carbonetti is like, yeah, he's kind of like Larry. Like it's just, he'll say these things, and at the at the time, you think he's just uh, like a kooky guy, but there is more to it than they than you, I think than you you would assume. No, I just yeah, I thought that was just kinda of harking back to that plane scene when you're we like, oh, he is a member of the Lodge because I was I was wondering how they were gonna tie that back in.
0: This storyline, or at least the, when Ernie is recounting it for Dud, and Jim, you mentioned this in your in your recap. I love that that scene, you know, we obviously in this episode just continues to amplify this idea. But the, the medieval quest imagery, the you know, Cervantes Don Quixote imagery So when Dud hears the story and he's just like, Well, you know what we had to do, right? You know, like, I'm your squire.
2: Yeah, I think uh, Dud really kind of embraces his um, squire role. You know, this is two episodes. It's like he pushes Alice out of the way of the truck. It's uh, the, D- Bowie's monster truck coming after him. And then he pushes Liz out. He takes the bullet for Liz with the ranch dressing in the face. It's like a very conscious decision that he's like practicing to be a good squire. It's a good uh, TV season for
0: squires, Sir Padrick and uh, Dud. The the, yeah. the squire hasn't been this big a celebrity, uh, you know, for five, six hundred years.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Unpaid um, internships are the modern day equivalent.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. Even less glamorous, maybe. <laughs> Anything else? One, anyone want to talk about about any of the clues through Mexico or what they think about El Confidente's next move is now that he is in Long Beach proper?
1: Well, I did want to mention he introduced the character of the Antiquarian. We may have heard about about him before from Larry at the end of season one. I can't remember for sure, but there's this whole theory that El Confidente has that Roberto Nunez stole the scrolls from the Antiquarian. And now that Nunez Nunez is dead, he thinks it was a revenge and maybe the Antiquarian has taken them back. So they're going to have to find him if they're going to find the scrolls, I, I assume.
2: Yeah, It seems like the Antiquarian or Roberto Nunez is some sort of, like, a Mexican version of, um, you know, Daphne and Avery or something. Yeah,
1: almost, yeah. like their own. Or is it
2: Paul Giamatti?
1: No, I don't think so, because mm-hmm. I think El Confidenti would well, know that, right, that he's, because he's talking about... I guess, right. Well, I don't know. We'll see. I think there's all kinds of possibilities.
2: Yeah, I was wondering if there was some sort of Avery connection to that whole thing as well, but I think that he would have... I mean, I guess he could have just said he was Roberto Nunez, but I would have i you know Avery is such an obvious gringo that I think that it would I don't know, yeah, but i i was I was trying to make that connection, and then I just thought nah, because they would have been he would have had to have been known somehow as like a you know a gringo of some sort.
0: another big reveal we get is through Daphne and then as a proxy for Avery is why they're on the case or at least why information we've got that they're looking for the scrolls they think there's some kind of code for for how to make and produce bitcoin and it's basically the algorithm if you don't know one of the basically people create mining bitcoin is when people are solving hard computer problems and doing work of algorithms that that work that literal that's why they call it mining that chipping away unlocks bitcoin i'm doing probably a horrible job at it but I love this idea that that, that that cryptocurrency connecting back to these, his philosophies and like the algorithm of how to mine Bitcoin is in those scrolls. And so we, we get a lot in this episode about the, the motivation about why Avery and team are after the scrolls. And it's not some
1: kind of protection of the true lodge. Do you think there's a chance, though, that she's lying about that and it's another scam? Because she says, you know, oh, the lawyer thing, the shark money, that was just a scam, but this is legit. But it made me wonder oh, is she just lying to him yeah. again because she thinks that's something that will motivate him? It's another way to get money. And really, maybe there is some other motivation. I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't count it out for sure. But the explanation of the.
0: Algorithm as the decoder pin for mining Bitcoin is actually a super
1: interesting thing to me. Anyway, I do like that if it is if it is real. But at least
2: at this point, she's kind of being honest about like what she, you know. She's she's I want to get at this because it's going to lead to a lot of money. So I mean, it could be something else, but she has put her cards on the table that that's all she's in it for. I, I would think the scam part of it would be that she's going to help. Uh, She wants Dud's help to get him, and then she's just going to, like, not include him in on it. You know, we can share the money. I mean, I'm sure that part of it is not her intention. Yeah, she's the con man, right? She's a Confidente.
0: Oh, my God. That explanation of con man was just a brilliant piece of writing. (laughs) He's a confidence. (laughs) (laughs) The Dud savant. (laughs) Speaking of Dud savant, last week we talked a little bit about all these great kind of bromides of capitalism that end up coming out of Dud's mouth. And so his little bit in this scene around currency and like, you know, if you can pay with stuff for lemons and it's lem- So just the whole call back to the lemon standard. And again, like Dud, like uh-huh. half articulating some capitalist theories. It's like a great little like running bit.
2: That's about the extent of how I understand Bitcoin. It's just like, yeah, if you say something is worth something, it is worth something, you know, and then someone's trying to create a whole new, system instead of it being on, based on gold, I guess, which is what it originally did. But yeah, I mean, it's kind of mm-hmm. funny, too, because they don't it doesn't seem like the show usually brings in like these real things from life. And I thought that was an interesting twist. But then again, it does seem like Bitcoin might as well be like some sort of archaic, you know, alchemist kind of thing designed by somebody that may actually is more mystical than turning, real
0: turning digital bits into gold.
2: Like, and what you were just saying about Bitcoin, I, I actually had never heard that part of it before. I, yeah, I really don't understand it. And even, I didn't even really understand what you were saying. It's yeah. like, it's impossible for me to understand what Bitcoin is, I think. I've had it explained to me several times and I still don't really
1: understand it. But but, but the process Chris was talking about with the mining, it takes tons of computers and computer power and electricity to do. It's not like somebody is, is trying to crack an algorithm. It's like a bunch of, really powerful com- computers working on it constantly to, to be able to, to, to create one Bitcoin at a time. So
0: just like a miner or mining company would have the drill bit or whatever like the high-end machinery is, is basically like you create like a server farm, you program all these computers to think together and very fast to solve computing problems. And as that chips away at those things, it like unlocks, you know, x amount of problem solved or like uh, this is where my sophistication will crumble quickly but whatever version of what that this sort of server farm is looking to crack and the miner is set up to do it's and then and then there then it's a spec then there's a speculation game on how much that's worth like any kind of speculative business model and then the thing that's somewhat interesting is then because everything's distributed in the cloud it makes it untrackable it makes it kind of distributed it makes it kind of like uh cloud money in that way although you you kind of have to do real work to get it computer work and it can actually buy real things but then it's kind of distributed into this into this uh kind of like you know the internet saves your gmail and server farms all across north america the money is also kind of like the, how to trace
1: the money is also like split up once you have it in a holding. I'm sure some of the people listening to this podcast will have views and clarifications they can provide also on top of our, uh, you know, attempts <laughs> at explaining or understanding yeah, the, the crypto nerds will spank us loudly online. <laughs> if there's enough yeah. of them listening,
2: it, it will still sound like someone describing the rules to Dungeons and Dragons to me. I, you know, it's just never, I, <laughs> it's never going to crack. <laughs> I can explain that to you <laughs> later.
0: Maybe that's a sep- explaining Dungeons and Dragons to Bart, a special three part episode. But yeah, I just, you're so right. I, this is something that I've been tracking and thinking about, Bart, this idea that we see very little modern technology. They have a concept of a phone. They almost seem like flip phones or sort of dumb smartphones. No one's really on their phone. No one's, like, referencing much that they're doing online. And then, so, it's almost like its absence seems like a choice. It probably is a choice. And then, right, we get Bitcoin, right? So, like, no one is – you don't see anyone, like, texting or, or I got a text from Ernie. He's at – the lodge or whatever, nothing like that. But then we jump right into like deeply arcane Bitcoin cryptocurrency. But I think it's you're, it's arcane and archaic metaphor is why like that's the only piece of technology
2: or technological storyline we have. What I've always found interesting about the show is that I, the character development yeah. to me is is what kind of engrosses me into it and why I'm, I'm interested mostly. But I, and I like the uh, mystical stuff, and but I never expected the mystical stuff to necessarily come to any real point or conclusion or something. It could just always be sort of teased or or like a little flavoring to it or something like that. And now, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, this is... I, I, I do think there's going to be like sort of a reveal for all the stuff that it's been hinting at along the way. And Bitcoin, I was like, oh, yeah. I mean, that, that would really be sort of modern alchemy, I guess, right? Like creating the gold. So... Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. if you're going to use it, that was a great way of using it. Because, yeah, I I, I yeah. think it's certainly intentional. I mean, I think the whole point of the Lodge is to be around people, you know. And like, and so this is like people pre all the technology that kind of like all the social media that we're constantly on and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's, spo- it's, it's very intentionally supposed to n- not have those sorts of elements, too. We're going to
0: jump uh, to Connie because the Mexico True Lodge stuff feels very like it's a quest. It's often the hinterlands. It's a mystery where Connie seems, I mean, she's right in the belly of the beasts and probably maybe closer to the real seat of power and knowledge of the True Lodge than, than any of these other fools, you know, kind of goofing off in Long Beach and taking sojourns out in, uh, out into the Mexican wilderness. What did you all think of that, that reveal? I mean, I did not, I, maybe I'm dumb, but I did not see the Clara Melinda thing coming or that we would get, like, the you know, welcome to
1: the True Lodge piece. That definitely was like a catch-my-breath moment. Oh, no, I was just going to say, yeah, I I didn't see that coming either. I guess there were clues being dropped uh, about Clara saying that she had had this episode in in Turin and had to be hospitalized, and I still didn't know where that was going to head. We had the title of the episode in two different places, Disorientation. It was in the presentation at higher stakes with Janet, but then it was also... Uh, Connie's blindfolded and talking to Melinda or, you know, who knows what her real name is. Now we know her as two b- different people and she's making her, I don't know, you know, recite poetry and whatnot. Connie's saying that she gets kept getting lost in the corridors. Yeah. <laughs> and Melinda said, uh, Merrill thought it was good to feel lost. And then that he had a theory of architectural disorientation. That's something that I think we'll mm-hmm. probably, you know, right, right. get more on.
2: Uh, more about.
1: I wasn't sure where it was all going. Yeah, I
2: really, really, really like that uh, the, the Connie scenes. I just think that uh, Linda Eamon is a phenomenal actor. I like that. That it's like a kind of a almost brief scene. It's only a couple minutes long, but she had like the depth that she kind of goes into. You know, I I don't know how you guys feel about this subject, but personally, every once in a while I'll think about the fact that I'm going to be dead at some point, and it's just totally freaky. To know that you were, that. like, if you were diagnosed with something, and know that it was sort of coming, you know, to me, especially at a a younger age, you know, to me it would be... So I, I find that whole arc very, very compelling. You know, in some ways, like, she's trying to get out of her little mess of a life, she just kind of spontaneously goes there. But it almost seems like she's kind of become the dud of Lodge One. She stumbles upon it sort of, but she's very in a very very important piece of it. And she's been spending a lot of time, Clara. And it's funny, like after watching it a couple times, I was like, "How did she figure out that it was her?" And then when I, li- I when I knew it was coming, I listened closer. And you can you can hear that she kind of breaks character for, for just a very brief second, and that's when she puts it together. And I mean, obviously, because they're spending so much time together, she's probably you know very tuned into what uh, to Clara's voice, and so she kind of catches it. But um, yeah, I don't know. She just is such a uh, it's just such like a powerful scene in a show that is you know it, it has a lot of powerful moments, but it also can be kind of light and funny. Um, then we have this scene basically where they're talking about it very, I don't know. And it was was like, yeah, it was a lot of great reveals this episode. I thought, and that was one of them where we kind of like get the backstory on her and then the connection that Clara had something kind of similar. Yeah. She,
0: some, it wasn't exactly the same and she obviously didn't, well, I don't know. She doesn't at least reveal that she has a similar diagnosis, but she's having a similar kind of episode with second sight type of imagery that comes to her dreams. I couldn't agree more in terms of how much how powerful that scene is. I mean, she was acting her ass off. Her character has been so cavalier and cynical and kind of tough, leather skinned around all this. So we don't as many yeah. scenes as she had with Ernie and Scott, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, she doesn't really come clean about. We know it, but she doesn't come clean with actually how she feels. And then so that story about seeing the younger self, like regardless of where you are in life or looking death in the face or et cetera. But like this, this, like, you know, I was younger than I'm so much older than I was so so much younger than I'm so much or no older than I'm so much younger now. Like that total, you know, like the the wisdom and perspective and then the want to go back and like either help or become that person again with that wisdom and knowledge was so I was affected by that that idea of, like, thinking of yourself yep. at these different timescapes as much as I was about, like, the impending death. Either way, it was, it was a wonderful piece of writing, and it was a, just a spectacular piece of acting.
2: Right, and we find out from Scott last episode that, in a sense, you're not really... Sh- like, the relationship between Scott and Connie seems like it was, like, almost he wants to protect her... It it, it didn't seem like it was like a natural thing where you meet somebody, you start dating, you fall in love, then you decide to get married. It seemed like it was very much sort of a quick thing, you know, where he's and realizes she's in this sort of predicament, kind of needs some help, and he offers to be that guy. To, to me, she, I think she's very grateful for that, and I think that she does love Scott, but at the same time, it's not like, um... It seems like it was a little bit manufactured, I think. And then she has Ernie, on the other hand, which I think they did have, like, a sort of more passionate thing, but it was in the past, and now, of course, she is with Scott and married to him, probably legally, at least, even if uh, it was, well, for whatever, however it happened, but, um... And then but she's not really free to sort of be that way with him. And then and then Ernie doesn't know any of this stuff about her conditions. So she can't really if you're going to be emotionally tied to somebody, they need to know those sorts of things about you. Right. I mean, otherwise, it's just kind of very superficial. And like it's like Scott with everything, you know, it's like he sort of means well, but he misses the point a lot. And he's very, very good to Connie. Like, rushes home to kind of help her out. He knows what she's going through. He gets her the pillows or whatever. You know, he's a good dude. But at the same time, it's just a little missing sort of something, I think. Just like he thinks that, you know, it's going to be fun to go through 300 dead people that no one knows. (laughs) You know, duty. People miss (laughs) duty. (laughs) I don't think that's why they're at the lodge. (laughs) miss duty
0: all right well this is the point in the episode where we go and name our alchemist of the week i'll go ahead and start just because mine's going to connect to what we were just talking about i I don't see how you don't name connie the alchemist of the week one she's closer to the true lodge or the center of knowledge than anyone that we've ever seen in the show or at least that's what we're led to believe right now she kind of Uncovers this concept of friendship and she unburdens herself of her inner dialogue. For that and her journey, I'm naming Connie as my alchemist of the week.
1: Jim. My alchemist of the week is Dud. For me, Dud, you know, he got to keep this the dream of the scrolls alive. You know, the, that naming of the dead ceremony, which nobody was really into anyway. He derailed that, took it over, and introduced the idea of you know, let's all go to Mexico, find the scrolls, find our destiny, get rich, whatever it might be. He was able to, you know, kind of take over the narrative. He Did he figured, figure it out? Well, he didn't figure out, but he found out that Daphne was scamming him. And in the incident with Lenore, when she starts pitching, you know, Phydrate or hydration to them, I was worried that he was going to, he's usually so nice and also just falls for things. And I thought he was going to be like, yeah, we'll buy it and we'll sell it for you, you know. Because he so often just ends up, you know, puts himself in these positions where just makes more trouble for himself. So I was, I was glad and thought that it rec- it represented some progress that he was like, no, you didn't save my life. What the hell? And like, let's get out of here. You know, there's something wrong here. And I was just, I was point, just instantly yeah. worried like, oh, no, he's going to f- fall for this scam. I mean, luckily, Liz was there to set him straight, but I feel like even even so, he wasn't, you know, he was right on board with Liz with that. The other thing for me, and I don't know if you guys addressed this last week since I wasn't here, but the ongoing um, kind of feud we've had among each other about whether Ernie hates Dud or not, I think that's been resolved now that he doesn't <laughs> and that he does want to be his friend. And, you know, that was really solidified here with Ernie confiding Dud about Mexico and entrusting him um, with with what happened there. Uh, And just since I I happened to watch both the last episode and this one right together this week, for me it was a little trajectory of, oh, Ernie and Dud, they're back, you know, uh, as a pair.
2: That's why I picked Dud. I'm going to go with Jeremy. He's reunited with his Liz. He's got his gold back. And Liz means so much to him and that she's going to be part of his life now. That was the person who made something into gold, I guess, you know. And I think, you know, he also, in a way, gains, the takes the pressure off. It seems like um, the uh, old restaurant, it wasn't the same sort of pressure. He kind of had it down pat. And it seems like he was definitely, he's flailing a little bit and because the, the stakes are higher, right? So, like, and he's not comfortable in that. And I think he probably, from a practical point of view, as I'm always harping on this uh, as a restaurant, if you're the manager and you know you have a very strong server, that takes a lot of the pressure off of you because they're going to make sure the floor is running correctly. Getting her a job there, you know, even though he has to go through the kabuki, the dumb, dumb kabuki. Uh, yeah, he his reuniting with Liz, I thought, was 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 very sweet. And, um, and t- so for me, Jeremy is my alchemist of the week.
0: We also have been throwing out who you all might think is the alchemist of the week on a Twitter and Facebook poll's Twitter, uh, we're doing that under our podcast account, Pod49. We usually put the poll up for a day or two. And then also, on. there's a great Facebook fan group. I think it's this Lodge49 fan group or something along those lines. I'll put a link to it in the show notes so you can you can go and join it. A lot of good conversation, a lot of good kind of uh, internet sleuthing around the different clues. I put a poll up in both places I'd say if I combine them, and they don't show you the votes on Twitter, but if I combine them, El Confidente definitely is the winner. So someone none of us picked was who the, you all thought was Alchemist of the Week. Followed closely by someone added Blaze to the Facebook poll. I don't quite get that, but he'd probably be maybe even two or three if I were to actually tabulate all the votes. Don't really quite understand that. Maybe they're just taking the fact that he is an alchemist, literally. Not quite sure. Uh, he didn't have a lot in this episode, but you know who doubts the public. And then, and then Connie. So,
1: is the either the second or third vote getter? So that's what that's what you all think, Jim. The one thing about Blaze that he or was, and now I'm confusing the two episodes possibly, but he, he stood up to Scott. Was that in this one where he said, "I'm not going to be your bar. I'm not going to be your goon." Was that the previous that's in one? The la- okay, that's sorry. In the ep- yeah, yeah. That's in the
0: slide. Quick aside, does anyone else find great pleasure in the way that Blaze says Scott?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I don't even know if I'm doing it justice, but he's got the greatest way. uh, You know, there goes Scott again. The way he says Scott (laughs) is just such a dumb little funny character joke. Um, so right, so that's kind of a good sign. We got alchemists all over the place. No one can agree, which means all of our characters are hitting on full cylinders. All right, we're going to go out with our what doors will open. And this is where we'll make predictions about the upcoming episode or about some upcoming things that uh, in the next couple
1: weeks. So, Jim, what doors will open? So my prediction is based on the fact that this relationship has really flourished between Scott and Jocelyn. They become buddies. They're playing football. And we see that it disturbs Jocelyn that Scott is really you know, off base and how he's running the Lodge. And I think, you know, Jocelyn cares about Scott and he also cares about the Lodge. He's, I think he's going to have some kind of confrontation with him. I was thinking it's possible he would even demote him if he has the power to, but I think he might just talk to him and say, like, this has got to change. You've, Everyone is everyone's morale is down and you're not fixing it in the right ways and something, you know, I don't know. I, I just see some kind of confrontation or conversation there where it, it'll be Jocelyn, be Jocelyn will be the uh, catalyst for changing Scott's attitude or his behavior.
2: Jo- I think Jocelyn is a very, he, he's almost like parental in the way he guides Scott, like he doesn't want him to feel bad, so he sort of gently suggests that maybe that's not the best thing for, you know, getting mirth back into the Lodge. (laughs) But he
1: hasn't been listened to. So far, he hasn't been listening to him or even hearing him, I think. So that's why I feel like there'll be some kind of escalation of that.
2: My prediction, and this is probably my tendency to be a sucker for happy endings, but I sort of feel like Clara, the true Lodge, is going to cure Connie of her ailment somehow.
0: Clara slash Melinda doesn't talk about it as a death sentence, Mm. even though
2: it sounds like yeah, and there's that um, zoetrope type thing that, that uh, Meryl invented and that she mentions that he used to help cure something or whatever. I mean, I don't know how that would work, but it seems like there there are people who have been involved in the True Lodge in the past that maybe have had similar things that Connie has had and they were able to cure it for themselves, and so maybe this will happen for Connie, which is, and, you know, maybe that uh, whatever thing she has is viewed by the true Lodge as a person who's, like, destined to kind of be very important to the Lodge or something, and maybe that's how they figured out the cure for it, but that's that's what I'm hoping for.
0: I'm going back to an earlier one, even though Jim poked a few possible holes in it, and that is that Paul Giamatti, the, the Oslo author, I probably should know the character's name, But is involved in the Mexican scroll theft reclaim, and that's that's part of how we eventually will get on the plane with Dud Ernie, the scrolls, and Paul Giamatti. So I think he, I'm predicting he is the antiquarian or. El Confidente guessed wrong that it was the antiquarian that came and shot and, you know, stole whatever, shot Nunez and got what was ever in the safe, et cetera, et cetera. If people have other ideas, we love feedback. Again, you can find us at Pod49 on Twitter. You can find Bart, where are you on Twitter?
2: Uh, At Bart DeCourcy. D as in, it's Bart as like Simpson, B-A-R-T. And then DeCourcy is uh, D as in dud, E as in Ernie. C as in Connie. O as in Orbis. And then I don't have anything for the U R S Y. So part at Bart DeCorsing. <laughs> wow.
0: You have to get you gotta work on that for next week because I like that bit. You can find me at Chris Larry33. Questions, comments, there's a link to an email address in the show notes. So please reach out with us. With any and everything, we're hoping to get some special guests over the coming weeks, so stay tuned. Jim, I know you're not on Twitter, out, so I, you
1: know, do you want anyone to find you anywhere? No, uh, I don't want to be found. I will just say uh, stay hydrated. <laughs> stay hydrated. All right, with that,
0: we'll see you next week at Band Night.